0: series on leadership. We've talked about elders, how we can submit to our leaders. And this week, I want to focus a little more closely on the other leaders in the church, deacons, uh, those with special ministries within the church, and Bible teachers, the other leaders that make the church what it is. And back in 1964, Leicester Hemingway, he was the uh, younger brother of Ernest, the, the author, made a decision. He was tired following other people's rules. He said, you know, human governments, they're not for me anymore. And so he decided he was going to create his own kingdom. So he built an eight by 30 foot floating pontoon out about seven miles off the coast of Jamaica. He anchored it with Ford engine block. And he bragged to reporters i can stand on this platform i can walk around on it i can salute the flag that i made all of which i do periodically there are no taxes here because taxes are for people who are not smart enough to start their own country maybe he's got a point but apparently mr hemingway was not smart enough to keep his country together a few weeks in Um, Some fishermen really needed some scrap wood, and they took off part of his country. A storm came around and knocked the rest, and it was a tragic loss of independence for Mr. Hemingway, but I think a a pretty good story for the rest of us. And there's so many lessons in this history of this small nation that we could take, but the one I want to focus on today is if you want to get things done your way, start your own kingdom. That's what Mr. Hemingway did and it's what God did too. You know, with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, God established the kingdom we know as the church because he wanted things done in his church the way he wanted them done. No one else gets the change the way the church runs because God owns it and he put his son as king of it. We read last week in Acts chapter 20 verse 28 uh, that Paul wanted the Uh, Ephesian elders to be overseers and to shepherd the the church of God, which he purchased with the blood of his son. In Ephesians 5.23, we read that the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. God owns the kingdom. He purchased it with the blood of his son, and he rules it through his son. And he created a kingdom so that it would be ruled according to his pattern. But Unlike Mr. Hemingway's country, the the sad fate of it, God designed his kingdom to withstand all threats, in part by entrusting uh, qualified and uh, uh, devoted leaders to protect it. And according to what we see out of Scripture, the local church was set up to be taken care of by all these different kinds of servants. Ephesians 4 lists some of them for us. Paul wrote to them, God himself gave some to be apostles, But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him, who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So in order to rule his kingdom and protect it from the winds of false doctrine and strengthen it to be more like Christ, God himself, made positions for mortal leaders in his church. There was a role for apostles. Jesus selected those um, himself, except for um, uh, the one who was not chosen. It was chosen by a lot. for the prophets who uh, relayed truth from the Spirit, for evangelists, people who uh, devote themselves to preach the gospel as ministers, for pastors and teachers, like Rick and Andy and Richard and Mike and Josh. And throughout the New Testament, we read of another office established according to God's pattern for the church, the role, the office of the deacon. And now, most of these responsibilities are pretty clear for these jobs. We know what they're supposed to do. The, the apostles, they had a direct command from Christ on what they were supposed to do. We'll study it tonight, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, tonight we'll talk about how that's a responsibility for all of us, but it was the specific job of those apostles that Jesus told us to. The prophets, they also had a specific job, right? We understand it from their name. They were to convey the prophecy of God. Romans 12, 6 told the the Christians who had uh, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit that were present at the establishment of the church, says, if your gift is to prophesy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now, today we all have access to the prophecy of God, that Jesus is going to return just as he left, and that he is going to conquer uh, the devil once and for all. But it's our responsibility to cling to that prophecy, but these prophets— They had a specific job to do for evangelists. We are to, as you can imagine, evangelize. We're to preach and teach the gospel. That's the job of everyone in this room, but for evangelists, it's their specific job. For elders, their job is to specifically pastor or shepherd the flock. They're overseers who make sure that we don't go astray. And we also know that each of us has a duty. When we see a brother uh, in need, who needs our help, who needs our guidance, it's our responsibility to look after them. But for elders, it's their specific job. God designated them to make sure that it was done well. So those jobs, those are pretty clear. We know what they do. We know who they're supposed to be. But when it comes to deacons, we struggle sometimes. Who is a deacon? What are they supposed to do? And part of the reason for that is the Bible is pretty vague about who deacons are and what their job is. You see, the word deacon comes from the Greek diakonos. and Diakonos simply means servant. And we just studied last week we're all supposed to be servants, right? Many times in Scripture, uh, the word applies to the general description of servants. When Jesus turned the water into wine, his mother instructed the servants, diakonos, of the house to do whatever Jesus told them to do in John 2.5. And in some of the, the parables, Jesus talked about good servants and bad servants. Romans 13.4, uh, Paul tells us that pagan rulers are used by God as his diakonos, his servants. Then there's times that God uses this word to describe what each and every one of us in this room is supposed to do. Jesus said, every Christian who wants to please him... Should be a servant, diakonos, John 12, 26. And that if anyone wanted to be great in his kingdom, then they should be servants or diakonos of all, Matthew 20, 26, and 23, 11 and other times. You know, the word is used widely throughout the New Testament to simply talk about someone who is a servant. And so, if we're all to be servants and there's no difference between that word and the word for deacon. Why would we have a formal office that only a few of us can hold? Well, there are a few, very few texts that talk about a group of men who perform specific responsibilities within the church. Uh, in Acts chapter 6, that's what Gary read for us. We find a group of seven men being selected to take care of the needs of the Grecian widows there in the early church. And the apostles, they needed to devote all of their time to sharing the gospel, so they selected some other men to take care of these important, essential ministries. Now, look at what they were doing. They were taking care of widows who were being overlooked because they weren't like the Jews, right? Every Christian should have been responsible for that. We're all responsible to look after orphans and widows. James says that is religion that God finds pure and faultless. But when we're in a large group, we're in a large group right now, if I fall down and I yell for help, what will happen? Andy might get up. What are the other, where are the other paramedics in the room? Paramedic might jump up. Sheriff might jump up. Someone who has training might jump up. But if we're in a large group of people, A lot of times we yell out help and everyone just stares. They look at you. In psychology, we call it the bystander effect because we're all sitting around and we all think we're just bystanders. We're not qualified to do that. There's someone else in this group who's better suited to help this person. And so turns out everybody thinks that and nobody gets up to help. And it ends up that, that we end up with a, a person who really needs assistance and they don't get it. And when we're in an emergency, the way that we overcome that bystander effect is by selecting one person to do the specific job, even if everyone in the room is qualified to do it. If you need someone to call 911, you don't yell out, call 911. You say, you, you call. Right now, I need help, and I need you to do it. That's how you get it done, and that's exactly what these apostles did. They said, we have an emergency. And even though everyone in this room, everyone in the Church of Jerusalem is qualified to give food to Greek widows, everyone should have that job already, the way we overcome this bystander effect is by pointing to Stephen and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas and say, you are the ones we need help from. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, we find these words about a formal office that comes from this role. Paul writes to Timothy, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Even more than that, this job seems to require uh, just one person to be qualified. He needs a godly wife to help. And so Paul continues, likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. And so it's true. We are all servants of God. Talked about it last week. Each and every one in this room, if they want to be seen as great in the eyes of God, they must be a servant to others. We all must be serving each other. We all must be serving in the church. But there's something unique about these men who qualify for the office of a deacon. Paul tells Timothy to point to men who are reverent. They fear God, they love God, they want others to have that love for God too. They're sincere, they're not uh, double-tongued. When they say something, you can take their word on it. They aren't given to much wine, they're not given to dishonest gain, they're not focused on the things that are happening right now that they know are temporary. They're focused on something that's eternal and that's what their work is focused on. They're faithful, they inspire that faith in their families. Those qualifications seem to indicate that this is a, a pretty important job. You know, we can and we must all be servants, diakonos, but it seems clear that, uh, let's call them capital D diakonos or capital S servants, these qualified deacons are also needed in addition to us all being servants. So why would that be? Why do we need deacons when we all can be servants? Well first, we need deacons because the early church had deacons. It may seem like an overly simplistic answer, but you can rarely go wrong when you try to do things like the early church did. So if the early church had deacons, probably a reason we should have deacons as well. Secondly, we need deacons because they are servants of neglected needs for the congregation. You know, whereas when, when Paul tells Timothy and Titus, to appoint elders in the church. Elders are specifically called to pastor the church, right? To lead and protect the congregation. And Paul tells Timothy that elders are to manage or oversee the church. But by contrast, when, when Paul talks about deacons, he tells Timothy that once they've been tested, deacons can then serve as deacons. 1 Timothy 3.10. Let me say that again. Deacons, after they've been tested, can serve as deacons. And we know deacons just means servant so what paul is saying is servants can serve as servants <laughs> doesn't seem to make much sense and that's what we see here in acts chapter 6 the first deacons of the church they were selected specifically because they were known that they can serve and so they were chosen to serve they stepped up and they took the responsibility of making sure that those greek widows got food now over the past years from Uh, What I know, I know we've been blessed with some really great deacons at this congregation. They've been servants of this church, and and they try to meet the needs of the believers here. Right now, Jack makes sure that we're prepared for every service. He calls people throughout the week. He's been texting me to make sure that I pass along the scripture reading. When I I forget, it's always Friday or Saturday, and I I should have sent it a a day earlier, and he reminds me. Or Eric manages our, our finances. He makes sure that Uh, The food's organized, a very, very important role that we have that the food is organized. Cortland, uh, from his experience as a sheriff, makes sure that we're safe when we're meeting here together. Rob looks after uh, the building, and we have a lot of building to look after now. And until last week, Mike was keeping our grounds looking great, and and Josh is still looking over um, our missionaries to make sure we're supporting them with our prayers and our encouragement and our, our financial support when they need it. And they're doing great and necessary work, but it's not work that a deacon necessarily has to do you know just the other day i saw moa or excuse me noah mowing I combined them too quick i saw noah over here mowing the grass christina's in here all the time working uh in the office on the bulletin and and other work mike and melanie are here cleaning the building throughout the week and, and so many others they aren't deacons they're just being servants like we all should be servants so How do we know when we need more deacons with these extended qualifications to serve formally if we are all qualified to do the work that they do? And what is special about the work of a deacon versus the work of any other Christian servant? Well, here it is. From the glimpse that we get of deacons in the New Testament, right there in Acts chapter 6, the work of a deacon is the neglected ministry where they can be an example. Let's take that apart. At first, the work they do is neglected. You know, the seven men that the apostles selected were chosen to do something that wasn't particularly difficult. Anyone can stand in a line or go and deliver food to someone. It was something that every Christian should have been involved in. The reason they were specifically chosen for the job is because these Grecian widows were being overlooked. You know, a good deacon is one who has a specific ministry or ministries that they focus on where they see that something is being overlooked, that we have a blind spot, a ministry that has not adequately been cared for by the whole group. It may not be because we don't care about it or that we're not qualified to do it. It's just because we had a blind spot, we missed it and we shouldn't have. We've all stood around, we've seen a need and we needed to choose someone to act, to get out of, outside of that uh, bystander effect, right? And we look around and we see that's happening here. There's ministries that are being overlooked. It's not because we don't care about them. It's not because we're not qualified to do them. They're just being neglected, and we need to point to someone and say, run with it. Let's go. Let's get this done. We're going to stand behind you, and we are going to make sure that this is not overlooked anymore. We need to point to people and select qualified men to take those on if we can't ourselves. Secondly, the work that a deacon does is ministry. That just means service, right? Servants are chosen to serve in some way. You know, sometimes we make the false assumption that a deacon does something that's entirely physical. But look to Acts chapter 6 and, and try to tell me that taking care of widows when they need and going and encouraging them and giving them the food they need is entirely physical. It's not. Deacons are just as much involved in spiritual ministry as the rest of us are, and look at the qualifications for them. It's not things that you have to be qualified physically for. There's no engineering degree in there to take care of the building. There's no counseling degree in there to uh, take food to people. These are qualifications that show that they are spiritually mature, that they can be an example for us, and deacons are spiritual ministers just as much as physical ones. And third, as spiritual ministers, they're also examples to us. You know, deacons are doing work that everyone is qualified to do, which means they're in the perfect place to be an example for what I should be doing. I imagine those deacons like Stephen, when they went and took food to the Greek widows, it showed the rest of the church they should have already been doing that. It shouldn't have been a neglected need in the first place. And so they stood up and they were ex- an example to the church in jerusalem doesn't mean that the work they do is for show i imagine with a lot of our deacons uh, unless you ask you want to know a lot of the work they do in the background and that's what's special about the work of a deacon they take on neglected ministries where they can be examples not out of pride not out of showmanship but because they love god and they want to serve him and here in greenfield many families who will take on that responsibility you know there are important ministries here that are being overlooked. And I have a feeling that you know, the elders are going to be pointing to some of those qualified men to, to serve in those ministries. They'll be needing our help to identify those men and encourage them. We need the husbands of this congregation to look at those qualifications and seek to, to strive to, to fulfill them more fully. We need the wives of this congregation to encourage their husbands to step into that role because it's just as much their Uh, uh, work that goes into the deacon as his. And so first we need deacons because the early church had them. Second, we need deacons because they fulfill neglected needs that the congregation has. And third, we need deacons. There we go. Because the position of a deacon appears to be part of a discipling program. And we're all called, as we read in, in Matthew 28, we're all called to make disciples. This is part of how we do it. You know, there are some who view being a deacon as a stepping stone to becoming an elder. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think it's a little bit short-sighted. Notice in Acts 6, uh, seven men were selected to be deacons, and they were chosen because they were known to be full of the spirit and of wisdom in Acts 6.3. These men are not just hangers-on. They, they're not uh, blending in with the crowd. They're not just part of the group out of 5,000 people that were there in Jerusalem, these men, they stood out for something. There was something unique about them, and it appears that they did their job so well that it contributed to the fact, in verse 7, that the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. But out of those seven men, uh, two more did even more amazing things. One of those deacons was Stephen, We can continue on in Acts and read where he goes. In the remainder of Acts 6 and the whole of chapter 7, we read that this man was so in love with Jesus that he would not stop speaking about him. He couldn't help but preach to people. And at his first sermon, and it was so powerful, he drew this large crowd. Everyone was flocking around him. And they decided, you know what? We love this preacher so much, we're going to take him out of the city. And what did they do with him? Stoned him to death. Please don't do that after this morning's Sermon, one sermon, and he dies afterward. And you might think, well, that's a, a failure of a preaching career. But among those who killed him, who was there? Who was there, stoning, throwing the stones, overlooking the stones being thrown at Stephen? Yeah, Stephen was Saul of Tarsus. We know him as Paul the Apostle. And he later says in 1 Timothy one sixteen, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance: Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Before that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You know, Stevens started as a deacon, but his short stint as a preacher shaped the ministry of the Apostle Paul. I have no doubt when Paul penned those words, he was remembering that he was involved in that stoning. One of the most influential and powerful leaders of the church was influenced by this deacon. It humbled him, even if it took a while for that to sink in for Paul. Then there is another deacon named Philip in this list in Jerusalem. In Acts 8, we learn that Philip traveled up to Samaria. He planted uh, at least one church there. He was so faithful in his service to Jesus that God chose him uh, to convert and, and teach this powerful Ethiopian official. And There are many scholars believe that Ethiopia may have influenced the spread of Christianity in Africa. And these two dynamic young men both started powerful ministries, preaching, planting churches, being missionaries, but both started out as deacons serving food to widows. So being a deacon is a proving ground for men to grow into ministry. Sometimes that's the ministry of an elder. Sometimes it's the ministry of a preacher, or a church planter, or a missionary. Other times, it's just the ministry of being a really, really great deacon. And it's hard to tell how God is going to direct a man and his wife who's in this role of a deacon, how their family is going to serve the Lord in the future. But God makes it clear this is perhaps one of the most important roles in the church. In fact, you don't have to be an official deacon, an official diakonos, to be the most important person in the church. And the reason I can say that is because Jesus told me so. In Matthew 23, uh, Jesus tells the crowd, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, they observe, that observe and do, but do not according to their works. For they say... And do not do, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, but all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not call yourself Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your Father, for one is your Father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Matthew 23, 2 through 10. Then Jesus capped off his lesson by saying this, verse 11 But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, Jesus tells us that if we want to be great in his kingdom, we have to be a servant. After listing the, the qualifications for being a deacon, Paul writes to Timothy, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so, a deacon who does his job really well is regarded by Jesus as one of the greatest ministers in his church, in his kingdom, because a great deacon sets the pattern for the church. A great deacon shows us what it means to be a servant. You know, their servanthood should be so evident that others in the church follow their example and become servants too. And the deacons we've had over the years are one of the reasons why this is such a great congregation of believers. You've probably heard the saying in most churches, there's 10% of people who do 90% of the work, Right? That's not the case here. got a lot more than 10% of people doing the work around here. Why? Because this is a church where many people understand the idea of service, of servanthood. And it's a church where your deacons set the pattern of what true servanthood is all about. We need more deacons who will step up and be that kind of example for this congregation. So, if you're sitting here today and you listen to what Paul told Timothy about what a Deacon's family looks like. You're thinking, maybe you fit into that description. I do have a reverent awe of God. I do want to serve Him. I have faith in Him, and I want to strive to bring that faith home with me and make it the foundation of my family. I'm the husband of one wife, and I do try to be honest and sincere. And start looking around. Do you see a neglected ministry here that you could step into? Go home today. Sit down with your family. Talk about if you should step up because we need you here. There's things that are being overlooked, and we need help. But not all of us fit into that role. We are off the hook, though. We can't fall victim of the bystander effect. Each of us can look around, and we can see things that aren't being done and recognize that the person standing next to us is thinking the same thing as we are. There's someone better for that. There's someone more qualified. There's someone who's already been tapped to make sure that gets done. If it's not being done, I can promise you one thing, no one else is going to do it unless you do. We need you. God has called each of us to be a priest. We emphasize that here, not because we want to diminish our leaders, not because we want to diminish uh, preachers, not because we want to diminish elders or deacons. We emphasize that we're all priests in God's kingdom because there is too much work to be done by only a few at the top. God has called us all into servanthood in his kingdom because he needs that many servants. God has called each of us to work in his kingdom. He expects us all to serve him and serve others. Remember that story from the beginning of the sermon. Mr. Hemingway said, if you want things done your way, start your own kingdom, right? And that's what God did. God purchased the church. He put his son at the head of it, so things would be done his way. Last week we said that the church is not a democracy, it's a a theocracy, because God gets to call the shots. And the Son of God said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. I want to close with this interesting illustration. I know I put the picture up too early. Everyone's already shuffled around a couple of times. Don't say anything aloud, though. How many of you know who... Albrecht Dewar is. I can hardly say his name because I don't know him. didn't know him before this. In the early 1500s, uh, Albrecht was a, a struggling artist. He found a friend who was also a struggling artist. They made a deal, so the story goes. Albrecht told his friend, if you go and work for 10 years in hard labor, I will focus on my art, and if I become successful, we'll share the profits, but after those 10 years, you can come and do your art and then I'll go into hard labor and I'll support us. And so they moved in together and he was working out uh, in a factory and, and Dewar was uh, doing his art and he was moderately successful. Um, nothing phenomenal. We don't know his name by any means. Finally, the 10 years was up and uh, his friend, the other artist, said he can't go into art now. His hands were uh, riddled, and he, he had worked too hard for too long. He just wasn't able to go and, and fulfill his passion like he once had. And so one day Dewar was sitting at home, and he saw um, his obviously depressed friend sitting there over the table, and he uh, had, had some bread and, and, and fruit, and, and he was praying to God um, for strength during that difficult time. And that's when Dewar picked up his paintbrush, and painted the only painting that we know him for, and he might know it. I didn't. The story goes that everyone's supposed to know it. I didn't know it that well. Some people might, though. The only thing that Dewar was known for was this painting, the painting of a servant's hands, not because Dewar was a great artist and not because the other guy would have been a great artist, but because the other guy knew what service meant, and he did it. And that was what he was known for. Your name may never be great, but God recognizes servants. Jesus said, he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. God has called you to be exalted to greatness through service. That starts by humbling yourself before God. It starts by understanding the words of Paul. I am the worst of sinners, And that sin separates us from God. And on my own, I can't do anything to fix that. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy in me, the worst of sinners. Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Jesus wants to show you patience. He wants to forgive you so that you can receive eternal life. So I hope this morning, if you haven't decided to do so yet, that you will believe in him, that you'll repent, that you'll be baptized, so that we can serve our God together. If there's anything we can do to help you this morning, I hope you'll come forward as we stand and as we sing.